This is the Civil Discourse Podcast. I am Kevin Prendeville, and together we will explore the same topic as covered in the video program, but we'll take an extended look and an effort to spark a civil discourse. Well, here we are, late again. <laughs> I don't mean to seem uh, uh, dejected already, but I did mean to have this up on Monday, and uh, instead it's uploaded on Tuesday, and uh, I would reckon you're probably not listening to this until Wednesday or Thursday. Nonetheless, uh, this is not only an important topic, but uh, I did want to get back into the swing of, of doing this now that we have the capability uh, to do so. Now, when when we talk about spirituality and certainly the existence of God is, is something I believe in, uh, I am a professing Christian, not a perfect Christian by any means, uh, but I do believe that the only way to heaven is through uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm not afraid to say it. That's what I believe, and I'm strong in my convictions. But there definitely seems to be an increase in the number of people who have put something else in front of what was in America. And America was, like it or not, and as, as I mentioned in the uh, YouTube segments, America was and for the most part is still a Christian nation. But there was a recent uh, study out <clears throat> that said Generation Z, which is right now the name for the generation after the millennials, is the first post-Christian generation in the United States. And Europe's had one, maybe two of these now, in which post-Christian is the fancy uh, secularist term for Basically, they've they've abandoned religion, and we and we see that in in our culture as a a positive that religion is an oppressive structure meant to define gender roles and keep people in their place, and used by the elites to basically get people to ignore their poor circumstance here, and that is a point that I want today to debunk. It's a primarily Marxist viewpoint, and I don't mean to throw that word around lightly, but uh, Stalin, who is, I would say, a Marxist, of course, he is the second leader of the Soviet Union, which is a communist country. Uh, I, hope, I hope I'm not the first one to tell you this, but Soviet Union was not only tyrannical, but also very, very Marxist. He famously said, Stalin that religion is the opiate of the masses. And basically he's saying that people who are religious are basically, they've all been hoodwinked, in which the elites have, or the, the private property-owning elite, of course, not the benevolent Soviet Union, who would throw you in a gulag for saying much less than what I've already mentioned to you. Basically those elites use religion to get the the, the lower class to fall in line. And therefore, spirituality is a construct. While the younger generation has certainly lessened on the, their importance of Christian values and ethics and morals, I don't think their spirituality has at all. 
man, we see it everywhere from our sports to uh, how we exercise even. I don't think for some people yoga has become a, a religion where they they go uh, and get centered, quote-unquote, grounded, and it's very Eastern ethos in the sense that, that self is all the true importance of it, and you do all these poses and everything to become relaxed and in tune with nature or some belief like that. Now I'm not saying I'm not saying yoga is evil or anything like that. Don't I'm not that crazy. Don't don't quote me on that. But it certainly for some people has taken the place of going to church or at sporting events where maybe uh, well last year the the Washington Redskins. I, I follow football. I have my whole life. Um, and and so the Washington Redskins last year had a whole slew of injuries. Their starting quarterback, a man who who is a Christian, Alex Smith, had a horrible, horrible injury. He may never play again. Most likely will never play again. Um, and their entire offensive line had injuries, and they were they were down to backups. And the common phrase was, oh, the football gods are angry at the Washington Redskins, or the football gods have slain the Washington Redskins. Well... Hang on, I thought we dealt with this polytheism thing 2,000 years ago. Uh, if we really got rid of spirituality or didn't, or if it was some sort of construct as though the Marxists believed, we would not refer to things with that adjective, God. And this is a point not made by me, but by Thomas Aquinas in the 1200s. Uh, Thomas Aquinas is a saint. Uh, a, and I mean that in the sense that he's a, he's a Catholic theologian, but he pioneered so many thoughts that really led into uh, the Renaissance, which was a hundred years after his death. But he was a brilliant man, and we today, had he been alive, we would think of him as a philosopher, almost a Jordan Peterson type. And... Thomas Aquinas, basically, one of his, he wrote the the famous five proofs for God, basically justifying or proving that God exists. And one of his points is that when we declare something as good, that means as much as, you know, you, you eat food and you say, oh, wow, this is, this is pretty good, or something happens to you and you say that it's good, we typically mean it, you know, somebody tells us, oh, hey, you know, I ran a mile uh, this morning. And we say, oh, that's good. You know, we're, we're, we may be happy for them. Maybe you get a promotion or maybe you have your biggest payday ever. And that's really good. That's good. But we always, the only reason that there is a scale, and this is Thomas's point, the only reason that there is a scale is because there is something known as the greatest good. There's something at which that point of goodness reaches its zenith. That zenith, that, that point which is the best possibility for everything, that is God. Because there can be nothing greater than the creator of the universe. And that is something that is ingrained in all of us. And I don't think it comes down to language because goodness, things that are good, the concept of things that are good is across all cultures, across all languages, whether you are in Asia, Africa, North America, South America, Europe, Australia, it doesn't matter. 
when somebody, either in their native tongue or in English or however you understand it, says that something is good, it is always on a scale. Obviously, the same goes negatively, and that would be defined as Satan or the devil or bad, but it is ingrained and an immutable point. The other one, the other one, the other point for the existence of spirituality outside of the Christian ethic is the fact that there are such things that exist as Neanderthal tombs. So the Neanderthals will not directly, as we understand it, evolving into humans. And I do, in some respects, believe in Darwinian theory, but not to the point where I think it even remotely discredits religion or, or the Christian ethic. I think, in fact, God, the creator of the universe, because he is all-powerful, could he not set things to run in motion? Could things both good and bad happen as a manifestation of his will? I certainly think so, but that's not the point. The point is the Neanderthal, while not directly relating to the human, was a intelligent primate and uh, sub significantly larger and more hairy than the, than the humans, than the Homo sapiens, but they still buried their dead. Near uh, the Swiss Alps, there are uh, Neanderthal uh, tombs in Europe all over the place. Uh, these are relatively new. I think these were found in the 70s or 80s. I'm not positive on that. But why would you bury the dead if you didn't believe in an afterlife or some sort of preservation. And to the same extent, though they obviously weren't Christians, why did the Egyptians put their pharaohs in tombs? Now, the Egyptians did believe in a afterlife. They did have uh, the famous heart-weighing uh, Anubis, but they believed that there was something known as the soul, which lived on after death. This is in many different religions, whether it's Christianity, Judaism, Islam, the, you know, even the Mayans and we mentioned the Egyptians. There are many religions, Hinduism, that believe in a soul, something that is eternal, that there is some part of humanity which cannot be defined. St. Augustine put it best with his famous quote, Our hearts are restless until they find rest in you. Now, St. Augustine is another Catholic saint who also lived during the 1200s. He though we don't need a history lesson about him, he famously had uh, several different books that really grounded uh, Catholic theology for many years to come, and in some respects uh, still does govern it uh, a bit. And the next question, and, and as we're working our way down through history and, and through the different religions here, I do want to make this point that will help us understand the, the, the issue at hand here and the whole reason we're even trying to start this uh, discourse that there's a difference between Christianity and every single other religion. And that's one of the reasons that I believe that specifically uh, Lutheranism or the Lutheran denominations, but Christianity in general is the only way into heaven. Every religion has some sort of moral code. Every religion has ways in which you are to live. Christianity has it. Judaism obviously has it with the Ten Commandments. Islam, Hinduism, Buddhism, 
All of them. None of their founders ever claimed to be divine. None of their founders ever claimed to be the Messiah in the sense that I can forgive sin. What is sin? Well, evil. The internal knowing when a human being has done something wrong. Guilt, whether we like it or not, exists because of a knowing that we have wronged someone else. And none of, whether it was Muhammad when he was uh, sleeping with young girls and murdering his enemies, whether it was uh, Moses when he was sermoning to the people, whether it was Confucius where he was sitting under that tree, the idea that a founder of a religion could be so divine that he can say you're forgiven and claim to have authority to do that is so unique. It's the only known religion in which that is the case, that every other religion on different continents, in different times in history, there was always a barrier between humanity and the gods or God. Not with Christianity. Jesus Christ said that, in essence, he is the bridge. And the proposition of Christianity in itself is that there is such a thing here on earth that can be better. Now this is, if you want to look at it at a sociological standpoint, which I don't think is the way to go about this, but it's the way that obviously in today's society you gain any credibility. And it's the fact that this is some sort of advanced, this is an advanced religion, it's a complex religion. It is not as simple as God makes rain, therefore we must be loyal to him and make sacrifices. In essence, Christianity is the opposite. He said, no sacrifices. Stop, stop killing these animals in my name. Don't sacrifice your son, Abraham. Christianity and to some extent the Torah are different. And the proposition that we can be better than the animals we were created as is not something to be taken lightly. Therefore, the spirituality which we all experience and seem to have a yearning for is really a yearning, I think, to know God and to come to him and, and plead your case and know that you can be better than what you are. So it's not that why is there evil in the world and how can God exist if there is evil. Rather, we should be asking, and I made this point last week, we should be asking, why is there good, and how can there not be a god? We're still very animalistic. We're, we're smarter than other animals in an in a empirical sense, but in our knowing and our yearning to know God, we understand that we can be better. That not only is not to be taken lightly, I don't think it can be removed by any government or decree, because religion still exists in Russia. The Soviet Union does not. Religion still does exist in Europe. The Nazis don't. The Spanish, fascist Spanish, they no longer exist. Catholicism still does. Mussolini's Italy forced him to put up a facade of being religious. Not only is it powerful spirituality, it is stronger than any posturing by any dictator or king and has lived longer than any of them. With that being said, I don't think that it should take the place of the love of your country at all. And here's what I mean by this. So nationalism, and it's a, it's a topic that is widely discussed. In, in high school, we learned that it was a bad thing. And it was 
bad on all levels. You just, if someone says they're nationalistic, it means that they hate minorities or, or something. They'd throw, you know, whatever they could at those who thought that their country was the greatest. And just so you know where I stand on this topic, I'll give you a little hint. I believe that the United States of America is the greatest country in the history of mankind. And it's not even close. Our ideals, our beliefs, the things that hold us together are so much greater than any other countries. We are the closest to creating heaven on earth in this country than we ever have been before. And it's because of what we believe. I'm not ashamed to say it. We're better than the Germans. We're better than the English. We're better than the French. We're better than the Italians. We're better than the Chinese. We're better than any of the African nations. We're better than any of the Middle Eastern nations, as ancient as they are. We're better than the Indians. We're better than the Argentinians. We're better than the Brazilians. The United States is the greatest country in the history of mankind. However, my love for the United States does not trump my love for God. And that's what keeps the balance. There was, in the late 1800s, a movement in what was the German Empire at the time. And I think it's best surmised in Richard Wagner's political writings towards the end of his life, in the late 1890s, where... He supposed that there is no God, but there is eternal life. And he basically said, eternal life comes from dying and doing what is the best for your country. And of course, he used historical examples. We still know Caesar. We still know Washington. We still know Bonaparte. Though they're long dead, they did something great for their country, and therefore they live forever. That is utterly dangerous because it planted the seed and the culture for a party in the National Socialist German Workers' Party to rise and take control of that country after World War I. Why is that? Because they had no God. They removed religion, but they did not lose their nationalism, and it became a centerpiece where their ideology was at the center of their earth. It was everything. It was their identity. It was... We are Germanic, we are Germans, we are better than you, we are, you know, what we aren't, we're not Jewish, we're not black, we're not gypsies, we're not any of the minorities that they tried to, and in many cases, murdered. That's when nationalism gets dangerous, when it overtakes religion. And ideology can do the same. In the Soviet Union, with Vladimir Lenin, Joseph Stalin, Leon Trotsky any of the, we'll call them founders, they did not believe in a god, but boy ever do they believe in their ideology. And they thought it was so great, they beat it into everybody else. And anyone who didn't accept got murdered. Now they could do that because they didn't believe there was a heaven. They didn't believe thou shalt not kill an innocent. Threw all that out the window. And the only thing that mattered to them was so long as their ideology prospered because that's what would make them great. Did it? Ask the 26 million dead because of it. Nationalism can be dangerous only 
when God is gone. So where does that leave us now? Why does any of this matter? Well, recently there was a debate in the cemetery about removing the crosses from those who had passed because it was too Christian. I don't know if any of those men were Christian. I don't know if they believed in a God. I don't know if they believed in Jesus Christ. But they did something that will be honored in heaven, and that is fight for liberty, freedom, and the pursuit of happiness, whether it was here or abroad. And they cared so much about it that they never came back. Their love for the Christian ideals that founded this country was more than their love for life. And we want to take that away. Does that make sense to you? And I think part of this other problem comes from the fact that, well, Christianity has gotten lame. And I don't mean in the sense they don't they don't uh, they don't need to bring in Poochie here. They don't need to make some uh, uh, kicking Bible men shows. No, no, no. What I mean is that they're not willing to say this is the way to heaven, and everyone else is damned. And when questioned empirically, which I'll grant that should happen if we're going to think rationally. When people question the divinity of Jesus Christ, they're met with this response. Well, it's all symbolism. Well, when it said he healed the sick, what he really means is that he made them uh, spiritually well rather than taking what the text says, saying he cured the leprosy, he raised the dead, he walked on the water. So Christianity doesn't know, and I don't mean all pastors, and I don't mean all Christians, but we share the blame for this. We're not willing to proclaim Christ as the Savior and Christ as the Lord. We would rather supplicate and love people to God. Well, frankly, if people don't know why they're sinning and why it's wrong, why are they going to, why would they change? Some people, you know, you tell you tell a little kid, hey, you're going to put your, your hand on the stove, it's going to burn you, it's going to hurt. But sometimes they need to do it to know that it's going to hurt. That is not a point that is out of the blue, I think. Some people just don't know what sin is or why it's a sin or why it's wrong or why it should matter what someone else said, what some carpenter who died 2,000 years ago said. Because we're not willing to say that he is divine, that he's the only way to heaven. That placing your sin on his feet, that his death on the cross is enough to cover your wrongdoing. That's, that's an issue, and that's an issue that Christianity has to fix not the world. And the other issue is now, and I don't think it can be taken lightly, is the rise of Antifa, the rise of the socialists in this country, 
and their worldview is not one that's religious, obviously. It's one rooted in ideology. And anyone who doesn't fit in that box must either be converted or bludgeoned to death. Of course, this is also true with the Islamic extremists who don't necessarily care about their own country at all, obviously, if they're willing to create ISIS, but also that they are willing to die and to kill and to maim in the name of their ideology. And that is an issue because we're going to get two sides. We're going to get the side on the right that loves the United States but has no God. Therefore, it's okay to maim and hurt and kill people in the name of the U.S. And therefore, go against the founding principles. We're going to get the other side who wants to, quote, be better, be socialist, be communist be Marxist. And they're going to kill and bludgeon and maim anyone who doesn't agree. Those two sides you cannot reconcile because neither believes in God and therefore neither believes in reconciliation. That's what's wrong. I believe. Now if you think I'm wrong, please tell me. There's plenty of places you can comment and yell at me and tell me I don't know what I'm talking about and that I'm an idiot and that you'll bludgeon and maim me if you see me in public. And you know what? That's fine. Because at least you thought about it. Now, the point I want to leave on here is I think that, and I believe that, sin is wrong. Evil is, well, just that, evil because it places ourselves at the center. When we only think about ourselves, which is the proposition of the Eastern religions, all we're doing is driving ourselves into wrongdoing, because all we care about is doing what's right for ourselves. That's what turns leaders into dictators, and your spouse into an ex, and drives kids from their parents. Because they put themselves first, and not God, and therefore, not you or I. So, as we leave here, in addition to sparking this discourse, I do want to ask you if, perhaps, like me, you agree with that point. And I, I have been truly trying to put others first. You notice that some of my content has changed. I'm not pointing the finger at the left as I typically would. And I want to ask you if you'll do the same. Now, I hope so. But that's your choice. I'm Kevin Prendeville. You've been listening to Civil Discourse. We'll see you again next Monday. This should be up around 10 a.m. This is the long form of the same topic that we cover on YouTube, LinkedIn, or wherever else you find your media. We'll see you next time.